Scotty. Hello, Mr. Fox. How are you? I'm Dandy. I'm actually in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, visiting my mom, and she says hello, and she goes, why is she, why is Scotty not here? And I said, um, and you should know that it's pissing rain outside right now, and I said that, uh, well, because Scotty refuses to come to a place that is as pissingly rainy all the time as Britain is, he may as well stay there. That is something I may well have said, so she's probably going to believe you. <laughs> I know, that's true. <laughs> Oh dear! So is this also is this like a um, uh, Chapel Hill, Carolina resolution that you're just not allowed to sing opera at the opening of the show, or has a New Year's resolution come into play? Uh, I mean, you know, to be quite honest, it was it was um, quite nice, but um, you know, equally a little bit sad. Well, okay, so I promised to take it up afterwards. I guess uh, when I come to Chapel Hill, I always am having to time slice a lot because I still have some responsibilities on back on the left coast. Um, so in the morning, I can do some things before people start arriving in the office and I have to start answering questions or paying attention to them. Um, so as a result, I did not adequately prepare for this show oh. in terms of operatic <laughs> you know, intros. But I am just, that, I am that, just, I'm not sure if I'm impressed or concerned that your previous singing interludes have been prepared prepared meaning that in the the minute before i pressed record i actually thought about it and this time i didn't i just just literally tapped record and said oh all right it's time to call scotty um so but but you made the mistake of saying that uh <laughs> that you thought it was a good thing that i stopped <laughs> so knowing that since my goal in life is to annoy you <laughs> <laughs> I will have to I have to make sure I give you a double double but that reminds me though see the problem that Scotty is that I've run out of creativity of rewriting lyrics but we have a friend on the internet that could help us solve all these creative production problems problems which is of course chat gpt which is what I wanted to chat about a little bit today would you like to chat about that John with a segue as smooth as that how could I resist really yeah well so you know we all knew this day was on its uh, on its way, but I, I mean, first of all, have you have you played with Chat GPT much at all? No, but you're you're aware of what it is, isn't it, right? Mm, yes, no. I would like to say so, but let's make <laughs> let's let's make no assumptions, John. Why don't you give us the uh, the the ten thousand mile overview so that we can all know that we're talking about the same thing? Well, okay. So Chat GPT is a, a demonstration software that's available. It's been, I basically, I guess, uh, close to a month. Um, and you can go to this website and you can create an account and give it a, you know, a prompt where you can basically ask it to, to write anything you can kind of, you can possibly imagine. And if, and that can be anything from how would you write in the Swift programming language using Swift UI a grid view of 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 thumbnail images? I mean, you could be something kind of very, very, you know, uh, tight fit to purpose like that. Or you could say, compose me a, you know, uh, an email to my company, to, you know, indicating that there are layoffs coming and add a quote from Martin Luther King in it. So, I mean, it, it's it's very far field. You could say, you know, write two paragraphs to explain impressionism, but do it, um, you know, uh, in the style of, of, of somebody who's 14 years old. You know, in other words, it, it, it's, 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 something that is an AI that has been trained on an unimaginably large corpus of, of text. Um, you can kind of pretty much calculate that anything that has been available online anywhere, it's been sucked into it. So, you know, and where it's very good is to be able to kind of spout out 
a type of, of writing style that is kind of very correct, unless you tell it not to be like, you know, it will be well, you know, the, the, the spelling will be impeccable. The grammar will be impeccable, um, it, which is one way of cluing that, it, that it's too good to be written by a human. And so, you know, that aspect of it has, has always been kind of interesting, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in talking about it in, in two respects. One is as its cultural impact, but then it's also its impact on software engineering. But Okay. You know, right. it, it, so we are we are talking about what I thought we were talking about, which right. which I you know my my headline is yes heard about it not tried it not seen it right so okay, okay so um, yeah far away so I, I I've been playing with it for a while just because I find it amusing and so kind of the cultural aspect of it uh, and and why it it kind of uh, sparked my imagination this morning is that. Uh, there was a series of layoffs in uh, by the company um, PagerDuty, software I use. You know, I guess with all the tech layoffs, there are fewer people that would, would require, you know, licenses of PagerDuty if you're not, if you're among the, you know, tens of thousands that may have been laid off from a particular company and you used to be on call. The company probably doesn't want to pay for, for you know, a license copy for, for a person that's been laid off. Um, so they, they, and so, this happens. There's nothing particularly interesting or, or, you know, unusual about that. What was slightly unusual that, which, and I'll link to the show notes is that they included a quote from Martin Luther King in the email from the CEO saying, you know, with, you know, great pain and regret that we're laying off these number of people, they've been informed. And then comes the Martin Luther quote, Martin Luther King quote, which is something to the effect of, you know, the, the true test of men is not in times of convenience, but in times of difficulty, something that effect. And people kind of predictably shot all over it saying, it's like, wow, that is quite the conflation. Um, Did you really need to do that? (laughs) And so now when you see something that's strange, then you say, okay, was this a human being that was dumb enough to write that? (laughs) Or, Or is it that crass? And if so, you know, did they actually write it themselves or did they, did they bark out some commands to chat GPT? And so now when you see these things there, you see it then on, on Twitter or elsewhere, basically saying, can we guess what the input was to get to that exact output? And then somebody kind of fairly, <laughs> fairly correctly guessed it. And, and, and the quote chosen was the exact same one and the style of, of, of the message was the same. And then people from there said, well, okay, let's just modify it a little bit and, and choose other, you know, famous people to quote. So they did one with Stalin. There is a little bit of difference between Martin Luther King and Stalin. I mean, I, I know it might but, be but, hard to recognize their speeches apart at some points, but yeah, <laughs> on the whole, there are normally one or two giveaways. Yeah. Uh, but then, then from there, you know, the other people were, were, you know, saying that, you know, there's no, it's no surprise that uh, the, the HBO series Silicon Valley, you know, has not been renewed because no writer, no human writer could possibly parody something that is so self-parodying. And, and, and that I've seen lots of examples of that, of people who would write these, you know, recursive skits, one of which was, um, you know, from from these people that are called the Tech Roast Show, they're comedians, they're ex Microsoft and Amazon people, and they go around the country and they they basically invite audience members to kind of pre-register, indicate kind of what company you work at, what your total compensation is, and then, and with that little bits of information and what's available on the internet, they then roast you, and it's kind of <laughs> it it 
it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's like pretty bad. I and mean, it's like, it's very funny, but I would not want to be the person that's roasting being roasted. But then they themselves basically wrote a, a, a script for a show saying, oh, this chat GPT thing, how stupid is it? You know, kind of, there's nothing interesting, whatever. Nobody believes this. But then it became, you know, no, no chat GPT, no AI based software could write an interesting script. And, but then at the end it became quite good, quite clever. And it was revealed that they just basically gave it a couple of implement, you know, gave it the, the input and it was just, it was just frighteningly good. So that, that was kind of interesting. And then on a similar track, you know, I've been having discussions with various people about kind of how good it performs if you're basically doing the type of search which software engineers regularly do, how do I do X with programming language Y and API environment Z or whatever, you know? Um, and it, it, it it's stunningly good, and it's stunningly good not only in that it will then give you a full, correct code listing, but the full and correct code listing you're getting is not polluted with a bunch of advertisements or kind of all the things that you normally see on websites, which are designed to basically, you know, get caught in Google's index to be able to, you know, present the, the page with that information. And for you as the searcher, getting to the data that you really want is usually kind of down three or four items on the page. It just keeps getting pushed down further and more occluded by various advertisements or, or SEO fake outs so that it takes, you know, it takes a, a certain amount of work to get to a clean example that you're looking for. Whereas with chat GPT, as far as I understand, it really does understand the question you're asking. And it's, it, it, although the responses are cached, it's, is it's generating it, not, returning it from an index as far as I understand now maybe I maybe we've all been fooled but that's my understanding of it and that I think was kind of super interesting and then it makes people understand why you know Microsoft has invested so much money in it and why Google themselves might be very afraid because this was an example specifically having to do with computer programming but you can imagine that you know for general purpose searches um, you know Google wants to basically deliver ads as many as they possibly can, as unobtrusively as can, and are basically trying to say, how many ads can we cram in the in the search results that we don't scare users away, but that we maximize the the possibility? And then also how quickly can we get to the intent of, of the query so so that we can get people bidding real time? Because let's say you type, you know, tell me about shingles, and then, you know, okay, well then, you know, who wants to bid up the 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 you know the right away to be able to offer you know shingles vaccine or shingles information or living with shingles or, or anything that you can imagine i mean that's that's one of the reasons why you know oftentimes these days if i ever want to search something i don't want you know an ad profile being built that's why i use duckduckgo for those types of things but it's it is kind of astounding how how profoundly the world is is it will change as a result of this in terms of of you know, our, our daily use of the internet and also in our specific industry, you would think that there is quite a number of people who probably have gotten by pretty well. If you have companies that are falling all over themselves to get butts and seats, like I need 12 React Native developers and, you know, people are, are able to spin up their knowledge very, very quickly of, let's say, React Native. I'm not picking on them in specific, but choose any programming environment. And so let's say you get interviewed to be able to, to say, yes, I'm an expert, and they will do an interview you for, for you. And then basically, 
either you've either crammed the, a search of that or you're doing it online. They can't see the fact that you're doing it. But now anybody who who was going to get one of these stump the chump kind of interviewer interviews could just basically pipe the output of chat GPT into their, their, their shared editor, for example, and might, might be able to get the gig or rather, you know, human beings have been doing effectively that same thing. But now it seems like you could probably imagine that there's a lot of utility programming where you could just basically hire one person or two people who, whose real expertise is in formulating chat GPT programming queries to be able to say, I need it. I need to do something like this. And it generates a pretty astoundingly good um, stub, let's call it. And then, you, you know, and so that basically means that for a lot of, let's say, utility programming the type needed by a, you know, uh, you know, a non-specialized company, maybe there are fewer jobs for, for that type of program has been able to kind of switch quickly because of the internet. Anyway, I'm going to start to shut up now, but I, I, this, I find it fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. And it, and it raises a number of points in my, in my mind. The first one was when I did my college entrance interview uh, for my computer science uh, course, which I would have done in 1984, um, the lecturer was informing me about um, how the particular things I said I was interested in on the course, which were primarily programming, uh, would be redundant within a couple of years, and therefore I might want to look at other modules. Uh, so ah. We've always <laughs> been saying that uh, developers right. will hmm. be being got rid of very soon. Uh, even back in 1984, that was being said. Um, and but I think on a more generic basis, I I think this just reinforces something that I've thought for a long time, and, and many have that you know for centuries and centuries access to knowledge was limited. I mean, you know, um, initially there was nothing, and then obviously the printing press changed loads of things, and we taught people to read. And, but then you know, access to books was still difficult. You know, and it's only really in the last. 30 years with with the internet that the knowledge has become generally available to all um mm -hmm. and yet you know our education system and much of our employment system and interviewing system is about testing people's knowledge and really you know, you know we teach kids in school facts and we teach them history and you know all the rest of it and and yeah there's some good stuff to be said for that and having discussions around it you know, really what this highlights to me is what, uh, you know, employers should be looking for now, what our education system should be looking for now is, is not what do you know, but do you know how, how to ask the right question to find out? Is, you know, mm -hmm. So what you've just said about, you know, employing someone who knows how to structure a query in, in, in chat GBT, you know, it, it was a little bit, you know, um, tongue in cheek, but the reality is, you know, you're, the biggest thing that I want to know from almost anybody these days is, do you know how to research? <laughs> whatever that tool might be. That tool might be DuckDuckGo, Google, Wikipedia, whatever, chat GPT going forward. But knowing, you know, if anyone who uses uh, Stack Overflow, which is virtually anybody in our industry based on the code basis I've seen anyway, <laughs> um, you know, it's about knowing how to ask the right question to get the right answer is is the is the key now sometimes and this is the interesting thing sometimes you can only really ask the right question when you already really know what the answer should be 
um mm -hmm. or you know certain things that if you knew those things around it you'd already be able to write the answer and, and you know that's quite interesting but it does i think the way we 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 look at stuff and you know i once went for a contract interview and uh they said uh here's a here's a i can't remember what it was it was some normal programming challenge of something you had to do and uh the um uh, the guy said, you've got 30 minutes, oh, and, and the Wi-Fi password's this. He literally said that as he left the room. And he came, you know, 15 minutes later, he said, oh, send me, a, send me an SMS when we're done. 15 minutes later, I sent him an SMS and said, done. And he came back and he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, okay, first thing is you told me the Wi-Fi password. So that means you didn't mind me using the internet. So I went on the internet. I, t I, I searched for this problem because it's probably a standard coding problem that's used in many interviews. I found several answers. None of them were in the language we were doing, but several of them were in other languages. I looked at them. It then took me just a few minutes to implement them using a few bits of my language. And here's the answer. And I think that's probably what I would have done with more thought anyway. And it was like he was <laughs> and then he explicitly said, you know, he didn't care if I knew how to write solve that problem, you know, off the top of my head. He cared if I knew how to find out a way of solving that problem in an efficient, <laughs> uh, organized manner. And and to me, that was one of the better interviews I've done for, a, you know, for, for, for some contract work because it was testing my ability to solve a problem, not my ability to remember things, which is Fine. which is important. And I think yeah, things like ChatGPT, which which are going to you know give us better access to all the knowledge in the world, are great. But you're still going to have to learn how to use them properly to get the right answers out. Otherwise, you send out send out uh, shitty you know emails making people redundant with irrelevant or inappropriate <laughs> Martin Luther King um, right. references, just like if you copy and paste straight from Stack Overflow, you end up with inefficient and bad code. There you go. Well, Scotty, that was that was a brilliant uh, analysis or kind of uh, reaction. And now I feel uh, a little bit calmer. Uh, well, I wouldn't say calmer, but I, I, you know, I've gone back and forth between, oh my God, Henny Penny, the sky is falling, mostly on the kind of the cultural side, you know, because if, if because there is lots of writing that's needed for generalized corporate communication. And I think about, you know, I could see already a great utility for something like this and that. I know it sounds stupid, but, you know, you buy a furniture that needs to be assembled and furniture that needs to be assembled is always going to the least expensive place. And, you know, you might like the design of something offered by some company that's not been around for a while. And with the way that contract manufacturing is, if you can design it and build a prototype for it and then see, yes, we can spin up manufacturing of this for short run. So in other words, you know, you can have a product that is assembled almost instantly and the things that, that are given least amount of, of care and concern for are things like, you know, documentation. So they'll basically have the worst kind of poorly written in whatever the source language uh, was, and it, it doesn't really work very well. And, and you compare that to like the experience of Ikea, for example, is very thoughtful about those things. And they probably, you know, have people writing it in, in one language and probably have some effort to, to translate it and make it work well. So you can imagine saying that it's not unlikely to say, could you write, you know, chat GPT or some such thing? Can you write, you know, assembly instructions given these pieces, for example? And it could probably be at a level of clarity in whatever language you want, well above what would otherwise be available um, using kind of, you know, a, a stressed out human being who might not, who, whose forte that might not be, right? You, I mean, you, you, and so 
that type of thing, I think, is is a great use of it. Um, or just, you know, I, you know, you see bus shelter, shelter ads you know, saying, well, do you have a, you know, a request for proposal that you're trying to fill out? And I remember having to do that back, you know, in the days when I worked in enterprise software. You get these bids and you'd have to write kind of gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of super redundant text. And and I think that that's the type of thing where an AI probably would be super helpful with it, and that you know many of the of the oh my god the sky is falling pronouncements like I made earlier are pro- are are just like what you said. It's like well people have been predicting the end of the world or the end of expertise with every innovation from you know when Encyclopedia Britannica came came out it means like oh in one set of volumes you never have to go further afield. You can you know and, and same thing with Wikipedia. It's like you can you can get the top result on any question on Wikipedia and it will be pretty decent. It may not be very nuanced and you run the risk if 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 at the moment you took it it had been edited to something kind of false or not very good, you know, then you look like an idiot. So really, the, the the main nugget I got of what you're saying is like, this is just another tool in a long evolution evolution of tools, and you're stupid to ignore it. Um, but you know, because because it's just going to be something that you have to be able to use effectively, just like generalized internet search has been for some time. You know, uh, and and that's the the takeaway. And I think basically, I mean, skills change. I mean, you know, we we. We use a totally different set of skills now to what people did a hundred years ago, uh, but it's you know information still needs interpretation, and right. yes, interpretation may get better. But you know, you know, think of the medical industry. We 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 get you know, there's lots and lots of you know amazing machines now that scan different bits of our bodies and produce uh, information that we could never have had before. And yes, there are lots and lots of uh, then software that that sort of interpret those results for us but at the end of the day we all still want a doctor to have a look at it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. right. and make and make a judgment call or yes all the facts say this but this little bit here suggests um because that requires a nuance about it that uh, a machine can now maybe the machines will one day get that nuance and we're taking steps more and more to that but i still think you know the ability just to say write me this letter produce me this program uh you know still requires you know it, the letter you started with here it wrote a letter, but it, you know, a human should have been able to look at that letter and say that's not appropriate. All right. Yeah. Uh, All right. At, at that point, and, and will it go on to the point that we don't need humans? Uh, possibly at some point, but we're not there yet. And I think you know, to panic about all our jobs are going out the window, or you know, we're all going to get replaced, is you know, we're all just going to do something different. <laughs> it's the point. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's just sit on a, a lounge chair by the swimming pool, but. <laughs> That's what it will be. Well, on that last point, you know, I think that that I will repeat something that I still firmly believe. It's like given when you understand how AI fundamentally works, like you train it on a bunch of stuff and based on what it used as its training model, that's where it gets good. And it's good because it's kind of a volume play because, you know, in this case, a software can can acquire expertise and, and familiarity with a, a, a body of material that no human being themselves possibly could. On the other hand, human beings are very good at exploring and making errors and kind of trying something different. And you could kind of think of that as your own, you know, uh, you know, machine learning model. And it, I, it, I, I regularly said that kind of, you know, what, what I think makes me good as a software engineer is the, is, is travel and music and, and things that are not directly related to, to knowledge of, of a specific, specific programming language or API, but just, 
different experience experiences in the world that make me, you know, maybe different from somebody else. And, and that person, you know, everybody is different in that way. But you have to kind of go a little bit further afield. You see that in every creative endeavor, every musician that's had kind of some hit or, you know, made things changed differently because they introduced new sounds or new ways of doing something. Um, whether it's, you know, using vinyl records to produce music when you don't have instruments, you know, with scratching or, you know, somebody like Peter Gabriel having introducing songs that have, you know, sounds that have been sampled because he was, you know, able to travel somewhere and so on and so on and so forth. So given, given that you are competing against a mechanism that knows how to, to take input, you better be all the more creative, all the more weird, if you want to put it that way, or kind of far afield or off the beaten path, however you want to refer to it. And I think that is something I think is going to be even more, more, more important because anybody can, you know, anybody can learn how to use these tools effectively. But uh, it's it there's will always be a requirement, I think, for creativity and, and kind of oddball thinking. And just to finally reassure our listenership as we finish this, no matter how good, um, you know, these future tools get it producing code for us based on based on our query uh we are still going to require someone to sit there and work out why xcode won't build it uh and sit and swear at xcode all day and make complaints <laughs> about it on your social media platform of choice <laughs> oh my god that's so funny all right, so um, now I've blathered on about that. What's been on your mind, Scotty? How, how you know, we are, are well into the new year. How is money well? Have you shipped? We haven't shipped, but we're getting closer. We're, we're right. dealing with uh, some final issues. Um, obviously, as I've explained many times before, the when we release money well it's maybe this is yeah so when we release money well uh 3.5 which we've spent two years working on um we will immediately take it off sale and sunset it uh <laughs> it won't be there any longer um and at the same time the plan is to release money well 4 which is effectively the same thing in the app store um but uh so we're basically producing a legacy version for all old users uh, and then the same thing will be in the app store and then we will from, and the App Store will have different um, uh, OS requirements, meaning that going forward, we can people buying it new will have to be on newer OSs, um, and we can do other things going forward. We're going to provide a cross-grade path for people. In there. But of course, we have this issue now that we're immediately producing a legacy product which may be used by thousands of users, um, and then we're pushing forward another product. And over time, the models on those are going to go out of... Um, uh, sync with each other but what if someone tries to open a money well budget in the legacy version and the same budget in um uh, the app store version or on a different version of ios so basically we're having to work out all this sort of sync model updates uh, stuff just to make sure that it controls that so i've been working on that this week it's not a huge thing just to make sure you cover the edge cases um, and of course, we're going to the app store, so we've got to have a way of charging. So I um, also spent the last week playing with Revenue Cat, which, if you mm-hmm. listen to any tech podcast, is the sponsor of almost every single one of them um, as a way of managing your subscriptions. It's a, a wrapper around StoreKit and the Google Play Store and all the rest of it. It allows you to have subscriptions across platforms. We're keeping it a lot simpler than that. We're just going into the, the Mac App Store and the App Store. But um, yeah, so implementing that, and uh, to be honest, that has been a reasonably pleasant experience. 
um, it's pretty well documented. Um, there's some nice tutorials out there, and it didn't take long to get um, subscriptions uh, up and running in in uh, Moneywell. So, yeah, that's been it. We're um, just little bits of UI tweaking, making sure we have a what's new page that comes up in the legacy app, so that people can uh, see what's um, uh, going on in the new app if they want to cross grade small things like having a being able to sign up to an email list because obviously once we're in the app store we'll lose contact with who our customers are so you might want a way of them being able to sign up for news updates and things that help us to know who our customers are so just little stuff like that going on now and then yep hopefully we said by the end of january so hopefully end of january first week of feb it will be out there wow that then is, that what is will we quite... talk about we'll talk about how we're trying to get the next release of money <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see um, uh, how this goes because obviously, you know, we're, we're basically if you are, um, we, we're going to release the current Money One and we're going to make a commitment to ensure it runs for at least twelve months. Now, the reality is, Money World Two, which was released in two thousand and eleven, on the whole, is still running today um, for people who've never upgraded to Money World Three. Um, but we've not put an update out for Money World Two. We did one just after we took over. And we've not done one since. So, you know, so just because we're making a 12 month commitment doesn't mean Moneywell 3.5 is going to stop working in 12 months time. We're just saying we're going to provide updates, keep it working on the latest OSs. So, you know, with assuming that um, the next version of macOS will come out in September, you know, we'll be making it work with that. So it, it should it may go on for years. But so we're just saying if that's all you want to do, you just want to stay with that, um, then that's fine. Here it is, and it will run for as long as it runs. Um, but equally, if you are a current Moneywell user and you wish to move to the App Store version, I think we're going to give people a, a year free, a year's free subscription, uh, so they can adopt that one and go forward. So current Moneywell users are not going to, partly because some of this stuff is bringing back features they used to have under previous ownership and disappeared in there so but it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to subscriptions it's the normal stuff you know some people like it some people don't um uh we have some people telling us that we should be a subscription so they can give us money some people refusing to go from money world 2 to money world 3 because they bought this in 2011 for 40 dollars and don't see why they should give us any more money so it'd be interesting so we don't really know how people are going to respond but um we'll see and of course as wow. i've said many times before as much as we want to support our existing users and our legacy users and those who've been around, because the reality is Moneywell was in such a poor state by the time we took it over that those who are still using it are people who genuinely love the app. And of course, you always want to look after people who genuinely love the app. But the reality is, and we're quite upfront with our user base about this, if we only have our legacy users, Moneywell doesn't financially survive. We don't survive. Right. We don't do it. And so it's our future users equally who are going to say decide whether money well has a future or not you know if assuming they exist <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's going to be interest, interesting over the next um six months so yeah well, yeah might be each week it might be we had 2.2 sales this week or we had two hundred thousand <laughs> sales this weekend or somewhere between the two well scotty um we're we're getting in close to the end and um or because we have to have mercy for our listener but i could not in good faith 
um, not spend just a, a little bit of time uh, trying to compose um, some lyrics. So <laughs> here it goes. I asked I asked Scott GPT, I mean, <laughs> Chat GPT, please write opera lyrics in the style of Barber of Seville about a podcast host named Scotty and his nemesis, Foxy John. <laughs> And and the thing, Scotty's voices, Scotty's voice echoes through the air, bringing knowledge, entertainment, and care. But Foxy John, with envy in his heart, plans to tear Scotty's show apart. <laughs> <laughs> with his wit and charm, Scotty conquers all. But Foxy John, he'll always be on the prowl. He'll stop at nothing to bring Scotty low. But our hero will not let his show go. All right, but so and then and then the other one. To the tune of Ride of the Valkyries, uh, write lyrics about Scotty, uh, how, how Scotty will never ship money well. <laughs> Scotty <laughs> will never ship money well. His integrity, his honor will never sell. <laughs> he'll never compromise for wealth or fame. For his principles, he'll always remain. With money well, they'll try to tempt, but Scotty's principles, they'll never dent. He'll stand firm and never sway for his values. For his values, he'll always pay. Well, John, I expect you to sing at least one of those with backing music next week. Absolutely. Well, so then in the intervening time between now and next week, if people want to communicate with you, where and how might they do that, Scotty? Well, John, I've, I, I've done it. I mean, since we've, we've had a few weeks not being on air, and I should imagine mm-hmm. almost anyone who listens to us knows by now that Twitter shut off the API for most third-party clients. Um, I was mm-hmm. a TweetBot user, um, never, ever wanted to use the Twitter website or the Twitter client, and so that shutting off was the final straw. So a few days ago, I, I posted my last tweet saying, that's it, done with Twitter, gone. Um because I had to go on the website to do that, and I've just been avoiding logging in. And so now you're going to have to get me on Mastodon, where I am scotty at developer.social. Um, so there, a change for you. Scotty at developer.social. And, um, yeah, let's see how it goes. So it, it's been an opportunity to slim down who I'm following and obviously who follows me and just, like, see who comes back, see who I want to follow going forward. Because, to be honest, I'd really stopped using Twitter mainly anyway um not necessarily because of an elon thing just because i sort of lost interest um so uh but going to this now because it's like yeah i'm following five people at the moment or whatever then you know it's it's a very low volume thing and we'll see how that goes and i think you know about two people follow me or something ridiculous so we'll we'll see how whether i change my habits there or not but anyway scotty at developer.local is uh, me on Mastodon. And what about you, John? Well, Scotty, I haven't deleted my Twitter account yet, but you can find me on uh, as Jembe at Mastodon.social. And I, you know, I want it to work well. Uh, and I've taken note of all the tools that are out there purporting to get your Twitter user list and, and find their equivalent on various services. And um I I'm very uh, pleased to see some nice high quality third party clients come come about, um, and I think given some time that we will have a nice ecosphere. But it's pretty rough around the edges right now. But yes, I think uh, my Twitter days are, are pretty much you know I don't know whether I necessarily feel the need to to, to delete the account or anything like that. But I I just don't go on all that often, which kind of makes me sad. Not not because I love Twitter, the entity as it is now, so much as that it's going to take a while for me to be able to recreate my community um, of followers. Um, but I hope to see some of y'all on Mastodon.social or 
the, you know, all the other things. And I guess that's really where it comes down to is like, um, it's hard to say, you know, how, uh, how long it will take for some type of federation to come along, or maybe I just don't understand it well enough. But at any rate, maybe that's a topic for next time. Yeah, I have to say, I don't, I mean, it's obviously distributed servers. Mastodon.social is not taking new users. I never signed up a few years ago when lots of people did, or months ago when lots of people did, So, yeah, which is why I'm a, a developer.local. Uh, I have no idea who really runs that server or how many people are on it. I recognized a few names or whether that server is reliable. So it's all going to be a new journey to me. So we will... Uh, we will find out. Yeah, um, Tapbots have released their, you know, early access to their client Ivory, which is basically Tweetbot, but for Mastodon. Obviously, a load of features missing at the moment, so that looks nice. Um, chance to give them a little bit of money to fund the development. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how it goes. So yeah, John, there's lots we didn't talk about today, like new MacBook Pros and all that sort of stuff, and new Mac Mini, which maybe we can pick up next time. But um, mm-hmm. we we've talked about how how your future opera lyric writing will hopefully be better than it has been because of ChatGPT, <laughs> and I think that makes the world a better place. So with that warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart, we want to thank you for listening. And until next time, you take care.